I'm going to read out of Galatians 3 to get us rolling. Verse 23. No, excuse me, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Um, I want to actually show us a video to kind of get us into our conversation today. So we're going to watch this. Something's happening in Memphis, something is happening in our world. Trouble is in the land, confusion all around. That's a strange statement. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. One day a man came to Jesus. Once he wanted to trick Jesus. That he knew a little more than Jesus knew and threw him off base. He talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. You remember that a Levite? The priest passed by on the other side. They didn't stop to help him. Finally, a man of another race came by got down from his beach, decided not to be compassionate by proxy. But he got down with him and ministered first aid and helped the man in need. Jesus ended up saying this was the good man, this was the great man. You know it's possible that the priest and the Levite slipped over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. So the first question that the priest asked first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Then the good Samaritan came out. He reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now.
been 50 years since uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. And his words still ring pretty true, don't they? Isn't just a powerful video? And it's kind of silly for me to try and follow Dr. King's sermon there. <laughs> um, so today we're going to spend some time talking about following Jesus in today's world. Um, and what I mean by that is we're in this dialogue about doing things that matter. Well, how do we do things that matter in the face and in the light of what's going on in our world and not to be too with the trend of the day and just to try and talk about what's new and fresh, but to consider really thoughtfully as followers of Jesus who many of us really want to do what's right and good in this world and many of us really want to know what's right and good and the truth is, is a lot of us struggle to know what that is. Uh, all sorts of people weighing in this week, of course, everybody from the Jimmy Fallons of the world to, of course, President Trump on the events that happened in Charlottesville and a lot of mixed emotions about what people and how people are responding. And, of course, at the center of this whole ugly thing is this issue of race, racism, division, hatred, and it leaves us struggling, I think, with what to do, and I say that meaning a lot of us want to see change. We want to see things improve, and I think the first thing that Christians all over the country are doing is they're saying, hey, we want to publicly renounce this white national movement, which I think is obvious. (laughs) Because it goes against everything that is in the ways of humanity that Jesus taught us. And so, I don't even, uh, we have to say it so everybody knows it. But I don't want to just say it. I, uh, I think there's a lot that we can learn about how to live it. And I want more a little thought from Martin Luther King. Um, the statement that he said at one, in one of, his, one of his speeches, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. And uh, I've always loved that statement. Um, for a couple reasons. One, he says things that matter. <laughs> I love it. Way to go. But two, this idea that we, we say we care about things, but yet a lot of us don't exactly know what to do and there's a lot of silence around it. And so this isn't a flash in the pan news story. This is one that hasn't gone away. This Charlottesville thing is bigger than just Charlottesville. It's, it's way bigger than that. It's about prejudice that's existed in our country for a long time. And it's about um, not just the prejudice that maybe some of you are victims of prejudice, not just racial, but it could be ideological or political or faith or whatever. You've experienced some sort of prejudice and some of you, and a lot of us, maybe all of us, we've grown up in a world in which there's been things installed in us and we can't help it, but we have prejudice in our own heart and our own minds that we wish weren't there, but they pop its ugly head up every once in a while. and So... I think every once in a while we have moments in life, and maybe you'll agree, or following Jesus feels more like it should be a little more important than just being kind at the grocery store or really working hard to have your quiet time <laughs> or jam it out to some worship music. Like, being kind matters. You know, quiet times matter. Worship matters. But every once in a while, the brokenness strikes us in ways and we realize that's got to matter to us as well. Are you with me? All right. 
Well, Jesus had a lot of things to teach us. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the way Jesus started his ministry. I want to talk about the way he ended it. Because he steps into a world, get this, he steps into a world that's extremely racist, extremely sexist, extremely violent, extremely politically charged. The culture that Jesus lived in, a lot of people say the world is as bad as it's ever been. Are you sure? Are you sure? This is the end days, are you sure? Because if we're judging the end days by when it's worst, we don't win. It's been worse. Jesus stepped into a world that was completely chaotic. Racial tension was at just, it was, it was just oozing all over the place. You can, you can, the political tension you could cut with a knife, right? The racism that existed around every corner was, was everywhere. People that were born, the color of their skin, the nation they were born in, it defined everything about the reality. This is the world of Jesus. Women were seen not only as inferior, but as property. Mobs of people were regularly protesting. This is the world of Jesus. And so we think, what did Jesus do then that mattered? And does it still matter today? Is there something we can gain from the ministry of Jesus in which those of us who want to follow Jesus, really we don't have a lot to figure out? Maybe, maybe it's not so complicated because here's what I think a lot of us feel about this whole idea and all this thing that's going on in our world is a lot of us feel out of our depth. We don't really know what to do. We care, we care, we care, but we don't know what to do. We feel out of our depth because it's so big. It's such a big, big issue. So here's what I want to do today. I want to have fun, believe it or not. Right? Anybody else okay with that? I want to encourage one another in our faith. I want to spur one another on. That's what we need to be doing. We need to encourage one another because truly Jesus is our hope. I mean, Jesus is our hope. I know that's like obvious, but Jesus is our hope. And that's good news. Anybody with me? And we can, we can easily announce the doom and gloom, but plenty of people are doing that. There, are, there needs to be people who are announcing something different, who are announcing the kingdom. So that's where we get to Jesus. We may be out of our death, but thank goodness we are not going to drown. We have a God who's with us and restoring all this. So Matthew chapter 4, go ahead and turn in your Bible if you want to. It'll, of course, be on screen, but if you have a Bible you want to open up to it, Matthew 4, we're going to get into a little bit of a hope. Already, here we go, verse 23. Verse 23, Matthew 4. Jesus is starting his public ministry. Jesus went through Galilee. So he's like walking around his own hometown, right, home area. This is a region where Jesus was raised. He went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then catch this, just for kicks, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's pretty amazing. News about him spread all over Syria. Wish that was happening today. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, no big deal, right? Those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. This is good stuff. And then verse 25, large crowds, large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis. Let me pause. This is important note. First of all, we have large crowds. There's a bunch of people coming. Why? Well, because he's healing every disease, right? Everybody's like, I'm going to show up for that event. 
So large crowds, not only from Galilee, his hometown, like he's the hometown hero, but from the, from the Decapolis, which was an area of about 10 cities, Deca meaning 10, right? So 10 cities, and they're mostly a Greek area. It's mostly non-Jewish, non-God-fearing people. It's people of actually, it's actually an area where there's a lot of immigrants coming in and people from all over the, if you will, the known world at the time, living in this particular area. And so all these people are coming out to Jesus. The people from Galilee are coming out to Jesus and going on, large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, which who live there? Jews, but like real Jews, like the Jews. Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. So this is people from all over the Jordan region, all over this 10 city place, all over Jerusalem. I mean, so it's, it's a mix of people, isn't it? It's not just those who, maybe we read the scriptures a lot, and the people that are around him are Jewish, right? So in terms of crowd, this is a pretty big crowd, by the way. Most of his crowds were big, bigger than like, well, I don't know if it's bigger, but I'm going to say it's bigger than like a Garth Brooks concert, which is pretty big, apparently. And you guys, we're going to have fun. Uh, so I want you to imagine this crowd with me, okay? Because this is a mix of people. So let's just build this crowd in today's kind of people. So imagine a NASCAR event and all the people that go to NASCAR events. They're there. And so are all the people that go to Bruno Mars concerts. They're there. Billy Graham Crusade people, they're there. What the heck? George Lopez comedy show, they're there. So is the Dr. Dre reunion tour, and so is all the hipsters sipping on some local brew. They're there. Got it? That's the type of crowd, that's the mix. I didn't mean any stereotypes in there, by the way. <clears throat> Yet, so this is the mix. Yet there's, there's, there's this, um, they're wanting to see what he's going to do, right? I mean, maybe they're hoping that he like, turns water into wine or something. I don't know what they're hoping, like a nice glass of lots or something like that. Gosh, you guys have to stay with me. So, Jewish people, they have, they've grown up in, and they've learned some things. Some things have been embedded in them about what they should, how they should see the world, right? And they see their neighbors in a certain way, and they certainly see these people from the Decapolis. They see these other people from, the, from Judea, like the Samaritans, and they see the Greeks. And they, These are not people that they should be associating with. In fact, they've been told to not even go near them. But here you are, Jesus coming, and all these people from different backgrounds are in one place. And what's bringing them together? What's bringing them together is Jesus, right? This is a beautiful picture. Jesus starts his ministry by actually bringing everyone together, which I think is significant. And then in verse 1 of chapter 5, it keeps on going. Everyone matters, right? In verse 5, chapter, uh, or chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, so he sees all these people, he goes up to a mountainside, and he sits down, and his disciples come to him meaning the, not just the 12 that we think of, but kind of a small group of disciples that have been following around. And he began to teach them. So a lot of times he would be teaching kind of these disciples in front of him, but then there's a whole group of people there. There's this mass of humanity all around him, right? And Jesus begins to, this message um, by saying this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is an announcement. This is a proclamation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is poor in spirit? 
well, just so you know, I mean, just so, this is not a this is not a, uh, a, a admired sort of uh, you know statement. You don't want to be poor in spirit. Jesus isn't saying, "Hey, you need to become poor in spirit so that you can have the kingdom." He's not saying it that way. He's actually making a present tense announcement to all this crowd that's there. Hey, all of you that are poor in spirit, yours is the yours is the kingdom. What are you saying? All of you who are uh, far from God, who've messed up, who've failed, who maybe don't feel like God loves them, all of you who out there who, who, who keep sinning over and over again, those of you who, don't have, who have unforgiveness in your heart, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine the religious leaders from, from Jerusalem, what they're thinking at this point? They're like, what? No, 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 no. Those who are rich in spirit, that's who gets the kingdom of heaven. That's what they've always thought. So the phrase poor in spirit, these leaders from Jerusalem, they're sort of in the, I'm sure they're wanting to like jerk the wheel at this point, right? Back up the truck, Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying everybody's. And then he says this, blessed though are the poor in spirit. What is blessed? So the word blessed, some people pronounce it blessed. <laughs> blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed. You guys like, I like saying it. We should say it together. Say blessed. Yeah, it's like you're blessing a guy named Ed. Ed's a good man. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Many theologians believe that Jesus was actually saying something a little different with this. He was actually not just saying, hey, blessed, like the goodness of God. He was saying, hey, this is actually a promise that God is with you. He was saying, hey, the, 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 how fortunate are you that God is with you? So it, read it like this. It would say, I am with the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, he says, I am with those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I am with the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So anyone who is far away from God, anyone who needs God, anyone who is hurting and has been broken, I am with them. And guess what? Yours is the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus is announcing. And he's announcing it to who? Everyone. 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 And the, and the, and the leaders and people that have been grown up in the Jewish religion are looking around going, hold on, this is not making sense. I thought we were the chosen ones. I thought we were the elite. I thought we were the ones that were God's people. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm, this is for everyone. We're all one. So Jesus is teaching this to this, this group of disciples, those who are closest to him. And then he says something to them, if you keep going down in chapter five, and he says this. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on underfoot. And he says this beautiful part about being the light. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise or glorify your Father in heaven. So he's telling disciples, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You illuminate God's beauty in this world. That's what he's saying. But these disciples had grown up, and I keep emphasizing this because I want you to connect to something. They, they grew, grew up in a world in which all these sort of things had been installed in them about the way they should see the world and the way they should see people. And so he's telling them something, and he's living something, and he's bringing people together, and it's flying in the face of everything they had ever experienced. And if you don't believe me, Luke 9 there's a story about those disciples. He's sending them out. He's like preparing. He's like, I'm about to send the disciples out to do ministry. Look, Luke 9, verse 52. And they sent messengers ahead. Okay, they're going out to do ministry. Who went to a Samaritan village 
to get things ready for him. Again, the Samaritans are, you know, that was in the video. The Samaritans are a different people group that live in Judea. But the people there did not welcome him because why? Because they're headed for Jerusalem. And who goes to Jerusalem? Jews. And who are Samaritans not? Jews. Right? So when the disciples James and John saw this, this is James and John, the ones who wrote parts of the Bible. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Uh, yeah, that's what Jesus wants. He wants you to Sodom and Gomorrah, these Samaritans. No, Jesus turns and he rebukes them, right? He rebukes them. No, I don't want you to call down fire to burn your neighbors. No, I don't want that. In fact, let me kind of give you a little bit different picture of what you should do with your neighbors. We did a whole series on the woman at the well. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus invites her. He waits on her, and he talks to her. He gives her his life. He ends up staying for two days in the Samaritan village, and the scriptures say all these Samaritans came to know, put their faith in Jesus. You think that was intentional? He tells a story to a religious leader just asking about, well, who's my neighbor? Like, really, who's my neighbor? And he says, oh, I'll tell you. Let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about the Good Samaritan, right? And we think that that story is about helping people in need, but it's not. It's actually more provocative and more, more subversive and more just blow-your-mind kind of stuff. Jesus chose, chooses the neighbor that they don't love, the Samaritans. And he says, you know what? There's, a, there's this Good Samaritan. And he comes along. He makes him the hero of the story. He makes the person that they don't like the hero to a group of Jewish people that are, and then he says, now I want you to go and be like that man. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is actually like changing him. He's like speaking into the brokenness. He's finding these, these things of where division takes place and where all this hatred is occurring, and he's rewriting a narrative of what it means to be a person who follows Jesus and loves God. He says, you know what? You love to hate your enemies. You look at your Romans, you look at those who oppress you, and you think, I should hate them back because they hate me. But he says, you know what? You should actually love your enemies. You should turn the other cheek. You should carry the bag the next mile. That's what you should do. Because you want to perpetuate hate by returning hate with hate. But I'm telling you, if you return hate with love, you'll change the world. This is the, this is the message that Jesus is giving. He says, you know what? I, I want you to love your neighbors, not hate your neighbors. In fact, I don't want you to just love the people that you love that are around you. I want you to love the people that no one else is loving. I want you to love the people that are really hard for you to love. That's who I'm calling you to love. He says, you guys love, you guys love to go give to the poor, but you do it so everybody can see what you're doing. You should give in secret. Your right hand shouldn't even know what your left hand's doing. You should give so where no one else even sees it. That's how you should give. And so he takes these ideas of racism and politics and, and even poverty, and he speaks straight into the brokenness with a whole new set and lens of seeing the world. One in which division doesn't exist, and all people, all people are his people. So this brings us back to our question, what do we need, or what do we do in our world today? What can we do that matters? And, and I really did want to have a conversation about this because I feel like some of us truly care about what's going on, but we just kind of go on with our life. We think really hard to make a really provocative and thoughtful social media post, and we think we're changing the world. <laughs> you can do that all you want, but it should have some more to it, right? 
So Jesus stood up in a culture of racism and sexism and violence and division, and he did some things. He did some things then, and I'm, the question is, do they still matter today? And are they still the same things today? So I just want to go through a few of them. I'm going to put them on screen, and you can go ahead and go up there. Jesus in the face of prejudice, racism, and hatred. What do he do? Do you guys remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do, WWJD? Anybody remember those? You wear them, you rock them 15 years ago. So what would Jesus do is a good question sometimes to ask. Not to be overly simplistic, but that's what I needed for this week. What would Jesus do with this whole thing? Well, here's what he did, because he faced the same exact thing. The first thing he did is he, he'd bring people together with the good needs of the kingdom. What did he do on that in Matthew 4? Well, everybody was involved. Everybody was included. There was no exclusion. It was radically inclusive. Who are you including in your life? And who are you excluding? The second thing he did is he would, he would love his neighbors, especially the ones no one else is loving. A lot of times it's easy to love people that look like us and talk like us and think like us. How do we love the people that aren't like us? Next thing he did, these are things that Jesus did, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, these are, I'm not saying this. Jesus did and did it, which I love because it makes the message easier. Third thing, he loved those who claimed to be his enemies. He wouldn't return hatred with hatred, but he would return it with love, right? I'll move through these rather quickly. Number four, he said, he said, I'll show grace to the poor in spirit. Remember, poor in spirit isn't a good thing. It was a, it was a challenging thing. It was a bad thing. It was something that those are the people that were far from God. He showed grace to them. How many times do we look at sinners, and I say us, maybe holistically religion looks at sinners and calls them clean and unclean. How many times did Jesus say, you make distinctions about clean and unclean? Listen, you show grace to those who are far from me. And then the fifth thing is he brought peace through his words and actions. And I, and I think about this in the, the, the wake of this week, and so many people wanted to, to, to add their little thoughts in, and, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes it's just stoking the fire, and sometimes it's pointing fingers, and sometimes it's getting defensive. And I'm just like, what can we do that just is thoughtful ways to engage the world with peace? And then the, the sixth thing he did, which I talked about all those things already, but the sixth thing he did, which I haven't talked about, is he, he prayed. He would pray. Jesus did this all the time, by the way, and sometimes you just have to kind of be paying attention, but he would pull away and pray often. Moments of tragedy, when his friend was killed, John the Baptist prayed. Whenever he was preparing for his ministry, he would go to the desert for 40 days and he prayed, you know, fasted. He was preparing for the cross. What did he do? A great chapter in John about him praying. How many times he was with these crowds of people, he would withdraw to lonely places so he could pray. What is he praying about? Is any God? Why is he praying? Well, one, he's praying because he needs the Spirit to lead him and guide him. He's got flesh too. He needs the Spirit's guidance and all this stuff that he's, he's dealing with, mass chaos, and all these people are, that have all this division. He's saying, Lord, I need you with me. I need your blessing with me. So those are a few of the things that Jesus would do in this world because I think they're things that mattered then and they still matter today. So perhaps we try too hard to do things that if we just do the simple things Jesus showed us, we could actually see some good things. So I want to turn to Matthew 28 and I'm kind of wrapping up. This is sort of the drum roll moment. 
This is the end of the book of Matthew. Where did we start? The beginning, right? Beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 4. But this is the end. After the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus has been appearing for 40 days to his disciples. And we get to this in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, there's only 11 now, right? Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Does this sound familiar? Right? There's a mountain in Galilee. Yes, it should sound familiar. <laughs> go to Galilee, to a mountain. All right? When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some still doubted, which is one, one of my most, it's one of the most mind-blowing parts of Scripture. It's like, hello, wake up and smell the empty tomb. You know what I mean? Verse 18. I'll, I'll explain that more later in a second. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth, which is awesome. I love it. It's like, that's where you want to just like shout Jesus. Yes, authority. Go for it. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you. What did he say? I am with you. Where did we talk about that? Blessed, right? You are blessed always, even to the very end of the age. Now, what is this known as? The Great Commission. We'll call it the Commish. I'm about done, so we're about to worship, and you won't have to put up with my bad jokes anymore. But Jesus tells his disciples to go to Galilee, to a mountain, probably one they were familiar with, right? One that they've been before. Now, we don't know if it was the exact mountain or the exact hill, but it makes a lot of sense that he would tell them to go to a mountain that they were familiar with. Probably one where he sat down with them and gave them this whole thing called the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like, there's something that's probably very, if they're not on the same one, they're like really close. And he started this whole thing by bringing everybody together, and then he ends it by saying, therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations. Everyone. He tells these disciples to go make disciples of our, these, these, this group of guys, men, women, to go make disciples of all nations. This kingdom in verse 4 is, for, I mean, in, in Matthew 4 is for everyone. Has no division and no racism. And you're like, Tim, we get all this. And, and I just struggle with this because I was like, is, is, this, is this what we come and are really changed by? Is talking about something that we already believe. I would say that the vast majority of us in here believe in equality. I think the vast majority of us want to eradicate racism. I think the vast majority of us want to see division, not just in racism, but in all the capacities of our nation's division. We want to see them go away, and we want to see some sort of unity occur, especially among the idea of humanity's good. But I don't know about you, but I, I think... I think we have to be reminded that not only is this real, and not only should this provoke in us something, not only should this change some things in us, but I think we've got to remember that we are not that different than this group of disciples that are in the book that grew up in a world that was programming and installing things into their own psyche and their own heart about the way they should see the world. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and as much as... The, our nation has come in the last several decades and how much we've grown. We still have a long ways to go whenever you can wake up one day and right underneath your nose there's extreme levels of racism and hatred that are happening right around every corner, right? 
It's real. And he tells these disciples who grew up in a world kind of like we've grown up in the same kind of world, and he tells them, hey, we're going to try and put this thing back together one neighbor at a time, one enemy at a time, one division at a time. And a lot of us won't do the hard work of one neighbor at a time and one enemy at a time. We want the, we want, we want the sweeping miracle where God just fixes it all and we get to experience peace and harmony and shalom and all the stuff that comes with that, right? But what did he say to the disciples? He says, you, me, are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It would be you that go and make disciples of all nations. Now, how is that going to happen? One neighbor at a time, one enemy at a time, one division at a time. Listen to what he said in Matthew 5, and I'm going to read this again, but I'm going to read the message version of this whole light-bearing, beautiful statement that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, you are here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, don't you think I'm going to hide? Don't, you, don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. And then listen to this. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You know, whenever he said you're a city on a hill, I mean, I, I think we get the, the imagery there, but in this particular time, like the people, the way people navigated the world is they would, as they're walking through regions like Galilee, is there would be cities on a hill, and at night, they would have flames burning, and they would say, uh, you know, I know how to, that's so-and-so city, and I can go this way and go that way. And then during the day, of course, they could see the city on the hill. And so these cities on the hill were actually really critical to actually navigate the world, to see the world as it needed to be seen. He says, I want you to be a city on a hill. So today I hope you're encouraged in who we are to embrace the blessing of God, that you're not alone, to cherish the label of salt and light, and to pursue the call to make disciples of all nations. Are you with me? Yeah? Let's pray together. I want to pray that we hear him today. Math, uh, excuse me, John 10, 27, I think is where it is, where it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I just pray that, Lord, we want to follow you, we want, to, we want to follow the things that you've not only said already, but the things that your Spirit speaks to us now. Lord, we just pray that, Lord, we would be the kind of people who aren't silent about the things that matter, but that, Lord, we are stirred in our spirit to, to not try and go and generate our own answers and solutions and try and bear some cause for the common good of the world, but Lord, we would actually bear your cause and be your light bearers for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that as we uh, 
spend some time now just worshiping and reflecting that, Lord, you would continue to just move and speak to our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen.